Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic, the future. This is Cracking the Code with Sadir Ispahani. In this episode, Ramon Ebrall, General Manager at Amdocs Media. He credits his parents with teaching him lessons that helped him crack the code. He learned about grit, perseverance, and hard work watching his father build his business in India. He just did not give up. Whenever I'm faced with what would seem like unsurmountable challenges, I always think about my dad and visualize what I saw happening every day when I was growing up. And I say I have nothing compared to what he was facing. And that, that helps me a lot. He also learned watching his mother run the household. I learned how to have grace, how to have a big heart, and how to have courage. Just weeks after starting his first engineering job, Abrol was offered a chance to run a special project, but it was in a war zone. He said yes, but he kept the danger a secret from his mother. The success, an early boost to his career. If there's an opportunity, First say yes, then think how do you make it happen? Because sometimes that opportunity doesn't present itself for long, right? He says good communications is more important than ever today since coworkers are not always sitting near you. Communication with integrity, it's easier said, but when you start practicing it to be authentic in the conversation, I think it's extremely important. Now your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Raman, it's been a pleasure to have you as a guest on Cracking the Code. Uh, I've uh, had the privilege of your friendship and it's been a, a great journey over the last few years to know you as a friend and to learn from you. Thank you for joining us today on Cracking the Code. I know that your life learning will definitely be of great value to our audience as they chart the nuggets of wisdom that that you will impart to them. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sudhir. Thanks. It's a real pleasure and an honor to be with you on this podcast. It's a great way to pay it forward and, you know, love to chat with you. And Raman, typically we start with most of our guests to the early days of childhood. And what was it like growing up for uh, for you? I mean, take us back to to your early days of childhood, mom and dad, siblings, etc. Yeah, so I actually was, I was born in England, in Birmingham. And when I think, I think it was four or five, we came back to India because my dad wanted to move back to India and, um, you know, go and live with his parents. So it, it was an interesting childhood as we shifted around and uh, my dad set up a shop outside uh, New Delhi in a small town called Faridabad. We grew up there in a lower middle class kind of setting and it was interesting because, you know, my dad came from a very affluent family, you know, very well to do, etc., uh, etc. Et but due to some disputes, he had to move move out and then we settled in this uh, town outside uh, the capital of India. So financially, it was pretty challenging while we were growing up. On one side, while it was financially challenging, but since the background and, uh, you know, was a very affluent background, my dad was in Cambridge, my mom uh, went to the best schools and they were in Seattle and then UK and et cetera, et cetera. We always had a lot of books around. We always had like a very good education and hung around with the uh, the creme de la creme in the society. 
So it was it was very weird because every time you know you would go out in a social setting, uh, you would see all these people who are like ultra rich back in the day. You you came back and you felt like uh, you know why am I not one of those? <laughs> so so it was a very interesting childhood, but it was very interesting, and I had a bunch of good friends that I studied in kindergarten all the way to you know when I came out of school. That's a friendship which has lasted uh, a lifetime, and uh, we still uh, have developed a very deep friendship with the four, five, six of our friends back in the day, and that still uh, uh, holds me in good stead and centers me whenever I feel, you know, I'm going out of whack or think too much of myself. <laughs> you know, growing up, uh, you know, you we grew up in a lot of stories because my dad uh, moved uh, when he was very young. From what used to be the undivided India, he went. He came from uh, what is now called Pakistan, where his parents had to leave everything almost overnight because the British, uh, you know, carved out India. Mm-hmm. They all had to, you know, get on uh, trains and bullock carts and get whatever they could hand carry, and mm-hmm. move. You know, we grew up on those stories. Really, it was part of the. It's almost as they say, part of the water. Like you, you grow up hearing those stories from your grandfather, grandmother. You learn from their life lessons how they built themselves up and into becoming a very successful entrepreneur. My grandfather, and then on the other hand, uh, you, I saw my dad, uh, you know, uh, building up his own business from uh, zero, pretty much uh, working uh, 20 hours a day, 15 hours a day, nonstop. There were no weekends, no. Uh, no five-day week as as it is here, and what I learned was a lot of grit, uh, perseverance, and hard work. I think if I want to categorize, those are the three big learnings from my dad. I mean, he he just did not give up. You know, whenever I'm faced with what would seem like insurmountable challenges, I always think uh, about my dad and visualize what I saw happening every day when I was growing up. And I say I've I've nothing compared to what he was facing, and that that helps me a lot. That's you know? a very interesting that you share that insight, and and of course it must have been a very interesting set of uh, emotions on one side, uh, being with the affluent and and seeing a financial downturn in your parents' life, and then on the other side having to look at the realities of life of how do you survive and. Watching your parents see what they do—that's a amazing uh, full cycle of life, as as most would call it, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah. I think you learn a lot when you see both sides of the story, and I yeah. think as I look back, I think that's a. It would have been better the other way around. You know, you you would like to have it all. You never have it all, and you learn through those. And you know, you look at you know when I looked at my mom. You know, she she took care of uh, us at home, and she was uh, running the household, and she had a huge, big heart. You know, whenever we used to have any celebrations at home or guests would come, they would be served as if they were being served in a five star, right? So mm. I learned uh, how to have grace, uh, how to have a big heart, and how to have courage. So both my mom and dad were big influences as I was growing up. Wow, and you're the only sibling, I take it. No, I'm actually the middle of the of three. So yeah. I have a older brother and a younger sister. Yeah. So my older brother actually went to a boarding school at a young age. So I was alone at home with my younger sister, who was uh, always protected and sheltered. So that's how 
you know the family was of course uh, being part of this whole having siblings around i mean you you're in the middle there and how did you feel growing up with with your siblings and watching all this whole cycle of life unfold in front of you and what were some of those learnings i think you you basically you know as, as a middle child i feel like you sometimes have the best of it and sometimes you have the worst of it <laughs> and and it's all all because of the same reason you you tend to get ignored a little bit because you're in the middle so yeah. the first child always gets the attention and they grow up and in my case my sister was the youngest and being the only girl uh, you know out of the three kids she always was the center of attention so she got disproportionate attention uh-huh. uh, we were taught to respect her and i was kind of left in the middle and uh, unattended to with all the good and the bad that comes with it so i made <laughs> the best out of it <laughs> school life as we sort of you know walk through that journey by the way thank you for sharing those insights phenomenal uh, to be picking that up from parents a lot of our leadership gets defined with our core values and morals when we start very early observing people and it always starts at home right but take us through that journey raman of school life and then uh, you know what happened there when did you start first getting the inclinations of wanting to lead and feeling like you were part of some sort of leadership structure or running a team or was it in school around sports yeah. or debates yeah so at school i was uh, stood out especially you know in um, group events and sports I was in the school soccer team and i used to lead it and then I was the house captain you know the school had uh, four houses so all the kids belonged to one house or the other and I was the president of my house and uh, we won the best house award uh, for the year when I was the president I I used to lead debates we didn't have m- many debates uh, when I was growing up in school but uh, whatever we had I used to be part of it and leading it you know I also learned really quick growing up what I was good at and what I was not case in point you know my mom was always uh, always wanted me to sing and i went <laughs> to the school choir and um, very quickly uh, my uh, music teacher said raman it would be really nice if you can just pretend to sing but uh, not let any voice come out so i was clear <laughs> to me <laughs> that hint was very clear but on a serious note you know i think uh, you know i learned a lot in school about you know how to forge relationships how to build friendships you know it was a very tightly knit uh, cohort uh, not many people moved around not uh, the cohort that i went to when i was in the first grade or the second grade was the cohort i graduated school with also growing up i uh, used to go to my uh, dad's uh, factory he used to manufacture electrical fuses mm-hmm. uh, and i used to sit in his office and uh, sometimes just accompany him it was a far cry from uh, the kind of businesses and uh, you know that we all are used to it was uh, quite an in your face kind of a business mm-hmm. you could uh, one day get a government inspector come and do an um, unannounced audit uh or uh, the other day you would get a supplier or a customer and i saw firsthand um, you know delivery revenue design scoping collections all in uh, a few hours now we have uh, big processes and big companies i could it was a visceral feeling 
And I also saw how important was, uh, you know, getting cash in and in in the business and getting the cash flow going. You know, one moment I remember is uh, whenever, you know, my dad used to pay all his workers once a month. Mm-hmm. And I think that used to be his uh, happiest moment because he felt mm-hmm. he was supporting a lot of families. It was challenging for him because it was almost month-to-month situation sometimes. Uh, as I told you, it was not a thriving organization at that time, his uh, his business. But I could see how satisfied he was that he could uh, take care of so many employees. And I could also see sometimes when the check bounced from the customer. I mean, in, in India back in the day, it was quite popular where somebody would write you a check and it would not cash. Right. You know, so those experiences uh, really ingrained in my mind, you know, how business works, uh, why is it important to follow through, what does it really take to get a successful business done, and a bias for execution, because you have to execute. Ideas ideas don't get you far. How old were you when you were uh, the president of uh, of the school? I think I was in uh, the ninth grade, so I would say 13, 14 and I was the house uh, president or the captain, as they used to call it. You know, of course, all these observations, uh, you're a phenomenal leader. And we'll talk a little bit about that life journey in a minute. So then school's already uh, now you're in high school. Did you know what you were going to do in terms of going to college? Or was that charted for you as a roadmap by your parents? You know, so you may know when you're growing up in India, back in the day, there were really three options. Uh, yeah. you, you could either become a doctor or an engineer or nothing, you know, so that's, <laughs> that was, uh, at least uh, when I was growing up, that's how that's true. the options were. So I thought I'll become a doctor. My mom really wanted, I think if I recall, she wanted me to become a doctor, but you know, I took biology classes and I found them really boring because you just <laughs> read and read and read. And my dad was an engineer, so I said, you know, I admire my dad. Why don't I become an engineer? And uh, and most of my friends were also going for engineering. So I joined uh, joined the engineering and I graduated as a what they used to call as an electronics engineer back in the day. Yes. It was a sandwich between electrical and computer science. And I really like electronics because it was a good mix of programming, but also you could touch and feel circuit boards. And mm-hmm. I didn't want everything to be on a screen. I also wanted to touch and, uh, and do stuff. So I did um, electronics engineering. And my first job after uh, doing my engineering was in a, a joint venture of uh, Lucent Technologies, which was a, back in the day a Bell Labs company and Tata uh, Group in India. That was my first uh, job, and I have to thank uh, one of my uncles for, um, you know, referring me there, and I got uh, that. uh, It was a very interesting role. Interestingly, you know, the first month I was into the job, and, you know, I was just trying to learn what is it to work, and how do you go to work, and how do you perform a professional job, etc. I had no idea back in the day. Within a month, a project came, and uh, my boss came to me and said, Raman, there's a, there's a very important project. Uh, it's very complicated, but we just wanted to run it by you, whether you would be open to doing it. And this was to go and deploy satellite communications and uh, telecommunications lines for the Indian Army. Mm-hmm. In north of India, there's a region called Ladakh. It borders yeah. China, Afghanistan, and uh, Pakistan. Beautiful yeah. area. Yeah, <laughs> 
I said, sure, I'll do it, you know, because I was, I just wanted to work, you know, I, I didn't want to sit around. And I said, but why me? It seems like a very complicated project and I just don't know nothing about, I'm just like, I just joined like three weeks back. But they said, look, there's a chance of war. It's a full disclosure. It's not that we wanted you to go there, but nobody else wants to go. So we <laughs> thought you, you maybe want, you may be open. And I, I said, I don't care about the war. There's the army and what could happen? What could go wrong? You know, we'll provide you support. We'll give you all the technical information. Um, uh, you know, just uh, spend time with uh, some of the senior engineers and um, over two, three days, learn the stuff and on you go. And uh, I was very excited. But I knew if I went home and I told my mom that I'm going there and there's a war, she would probably not let me go. <laughs> so I told her, look, I got this great project. I might be out for a month. They said, good luck and all that stuff. And they said, stay in touch. I said, sure. And I went. And I think that was one of the best decisions of my life. I learned so much in the two months I was in that area. It was very dangerous, for sure. I mean, they were like, whatever happens in a war, like bombs and all that stuff. Of course, I was not a soldier, right? So and it was not even the army. So I was uh, as far removed from it on the front lines as, as possible. But still, it was in front of me. You know, I was uh, working in sub-freezing temperatures and uh, working in bunkers and stuff. Long story short, a lot of learning. I learned a lot. I, I, I won a big award in the company for that. And also, you know, it was an experience that I can't forget. So that was my first job as an engineer. Well, very fascinating because, it, it, you know, that sort of speaks a little bit about your approach to leadership. And Raman, I'm sure you learned a little bit about risk-taking because all leaders have to take risks sometimes not having all of the data in front of them. What were some of those learnings that uh, that you picked up on very early on in this particular experience that allowed you to continue to cement your ability to, you know, develop as a leader? Yeah, I think for me, it always gets more crystallized, I feel, when you're a few years after the event, not during mm -hmm. the event. But as I look back, I thought, you know, I think the main learning which I see, I'm applying it repeatedly in my life and my career, is if there's an opportunity, first say yes, then think how do you make it happen. Because sometimes that opportunity doesn't present itself for long, right? That doesn't mean you say yes to all opportunities and, and be flippant about it. But if you know what I, what I mean, right? You don't overthink and overanalyze. If it, if it feels right, if it's the right thing to do, you should go for it. And, and the most important thing is it should give you a fast, it should, it should really accelerate your learning and growth. And if it does it, you should say yes and things with, the, with enough uh, hard work and, uh, you know, rigor and um, brain power and some luck, you can make it happen. So that's one of the main learnings for me, mm. some of the early learnings that I still carry. The other thing is that, uh, you know, when there's a crisis, I've seen organizations uh, coalesce and rally with each other. Um, there's always a lot of politics in a steady state situation. But when there's a genuine crisis, I've seen time and again, organizations come together, employees come together, people come together to make stuff, to fix stuff. And I saw that in my first project where I was in the war zone. And I saw it continued whenever there were some serious crises over the years, work crises. I've seen organizations come together. So that gives me a lot of hope. 
Well, of course, leadership is part of core values and foundational values. I mean, what would you say some of your core values are that you sort of lead from the heart with the heart first philosophy attitude kind of thing as a leader? You know, I always try to lead by example. Even to this day, um, I, I try to, whenever there's something new, I try to create my own artifacts. I always go first to pitch it to the customer because if I can't uh, make the argument internally and externally, mm-hmm. I should not expect it from my team. So lead by example uh, is one. Second is transparency. I've not mastered it. I have to admit it. I'm still learning and hopefully I'll get better at it. But uh, being transparent with what your um, expectations are, what do you want to get achieved? And just in communication, you have to be, it has to be very transparent and full of integrity. Those are some of the values and, uh, and communication. You know, communication uh, is a uh, cliche. We all use it, but you cannot have enough of communication, especially in this day and age where nobody comes to one uh, nine to five uh, office. Everybody is like sitting in um, different parts of the world. Communication is extremely vital. So so those are like some of the values and core beliefs I have uh, as part of leadership. And of course, you know, part of leadership, Raman, I'm sure you would agree, is successful execution in everything you do. What does that definition look like for you as a leader? You know, execution is, um, is everything for me. I mean, it's like, um, you know, 90, 95% is execution, 5 to 10% is probably other stuff. And, and for me, execution is results. For at least the last 12 years, in whatever role I've been, I have to deliver results every quarter. We are, uh, as public companies, we're all uh, held to quarterly results. And the results are very, very binary. And what I've learned is that uh, quarters don't come out of thin air. It's not something that an accountant types on a piece of paper and uh, they show up <laughs> at the end of three months and there are the results. There's a lot of work that goes behind it. I've learned it uh, the hard way that execution is everything. Uh, nothing happens by itself, be it execution on the R&D side, delivery side, sales side, product side. You have to execute and execution is it's not just a, a, you know, high level word. Execution is actual actions and you have to be careful of what are the actions that lead to uh, results and what are actions just for action's sake. For me, it's extremely important that I minimize actions that don't lead to results and maximize actions that lead to results. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's not obvious. But I'm always trying to get better at doing stuff that leads to results as opposed to uh, empty activities. Now, that's a very, very uh, important insight. And uh, the little I know of you, you're very driven to execution and successful execution with, of course, the right uh, tenets of leadership behind it. You know, how would you define success as a leader, Raman, for you? I mean, what, what does that mean? What does it look like? To be honest, I'm still evolving uh, as a leader. I, I feel I'm in the second quarter of my um, <laughs> arc of life. 
perhaps, you know, kind of the end of the second quarter and maybe a beginning of the Q3. <laughs> you know, speaking of being judged by quarters, right? But I think success, uh, success to me means, at least from a work and a professional perspective, is to make sure that people enjoy the journey. People are employees and shareholders, all the stakeholders, including customers, are happy uh, with the results and interactions. Success to me is uh, is not like one milestone to hit and it's done. I think success is uh, has to be a way of how you approach things. For example, even in the smallest things, right? So when you interact with an employee, if you leave the employee after that interaction feeling better, I think that's success. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we get so busy, myself included, everybody, we are all so busy. There's, there's always more amount of work than time in the day. You, you find people, you know, not even looking at each other and or not even taking a moment to stop and say hello to an employee or an engineer or, or some developer who may be a few ranks um, below you. And I think it's extremely important to take those moments. Just ask how they're doing or you know, what, what their day is looking or have a coffee or crack a joke. Those moments are very valuable. And I'm, I'm speaking that from experience because when I was in the trenches, mm-hmm. I found it very, very motivating when a senior manager would ever come and say hello or I, I, may, have to, I may just bump into him or her and exchange those one minute or two minutes of conversation. I think that would... That's, that meant more to me uh, than any amount of town halls or, you know, email communications and stuff. So I think success is in those moments. Success is also with the customers. You need to make sure that your customers are successful. Just mm-hmm. giving them a project or uh, selling them um, a solution is not enough. You have to see the delivery through. You have to make sure that the end goal was realized. And sometimes it's uh, easier said than done. But at least if I can speak for myself, I always try my best to make sure that my customers are successful as much as possible. I've not been always been successful in doing so. I've always tried to be so, if that makes sense. That's very, very uh, much appreciate your insights here, uh, Raman. Tremendously valuable lessons that you're imparting to to all of us. You know, part of leadership is also learning through failures. What would you say some of the things you've learned not to do as a leader? You know, because those are uh, very important things to always learn early on if you can through some of your failures and some of your challenges in leadership, right? For all of us, that's been the case. Absolutely. I think I'm sure you would agree, Sudhir, we all learn more from failure than uh, from successes. Right. I'm no different. Um, you know, I think uh, when I mentioned you lead by example, that's also sometimes can become a double-edged sword, right? Because then mm-hmm. some... You know, in a workplace, especially in a larger workplace um, where I am at or in my previous organizations, that can also mean micromanaging. That can also mean uh, that you're holding information to yourself. People can take it different ways. And that has happened to me also. Uh, You know, you try to do the stuff and you really get into it. You get passionate about it. 
And sometimes your singular objective is to see the task through. I have done that, and that has caused me to uh, create friction with uh, peers and colleagues, and I've tried to correct it. But that's that's one of the challenges I've faced in the past. Uh, the other one is, um, uh, you know, uh, managing the politics in an organization. And, you know, politics is not always a bad thing. Politics has a negative connotation, but sometimes it is a necessary tool to make the organization work. So I don't mean to say politics is bad, but the way you deal with the politics can have a positive or negative consequence. You know, I became a a VP and an SVP when I was just turning 30, pretty early in my career, and um, I was lucky to have progressed so fast. Mm. But uh, that also came with lack of maturity in those areas. You know, I was impacted by those things, and I've learned to get better at it. Not that I'm perfect, but those are some of the challenges I faced. Part of leadership is also to instill and learn from those around you and those working with you and for you. When you meet someone, Raman, what is the one thing you hope, or a few things you hope you would instill them with when you when you first meet them? So when you when I meet some someone, I, I just want to make sure that that person leaves better off with the interaction, both in the personal, uh, in my personal interaction and professional interactions. I also try to make sure that I understand the purpose of the meeting and make sure that that's something of value to both of us. For me, it's also super critical to, especially with the employees, uh, to have a sense of empathy in the interaction. Most of the times when you're meeting one, two, or three levels uh, in the in the ranks. It's either about helping them or either about guiding them or leading them or updating them. These are extremely sensitive uh, topics sometimes, and you have to make sure you're, you lead with empathy. So those are some of the things I try to remember when I interact with folks. Yeah, that is very, very important, I think, to make people feel comfortable and and accepted and all of that. So uh, you've had a very successful career and uh, you you continue to to do very well and and everything that you sort of come across in your leadership journey. You know, share a little bit with what you're learning currently in the world of leadership and what books are you currently reading related to leadership that you could share with our audience. Yeah, sure. Uh, I try to read books as much as I can. Some of my favorite books that I've read least recently, one is Liar's Poker by Michael Lewis. It's a brilliant book. I just read it, I think, a few years back. Mm-hmm. It was on my wish list, for, and I, I got around to it. It's an amazing book. It tells you about Wall Street, how to navigate it. It's uh, just a brilliant read. The other one is uh, Sapiens by Israeli um, author um, Yuval Harari. A very interesting book. Uh, it's all about collaboration, and I think he he really narrows down on why why humans were successful, and he narrows it down to collaboration. Brilliant, brilliant way how he put his arguments forward. And another book that, at least uh, from a leadership perspective, that I would highly recommend everybody to read is uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. Mm-hmm. You know, I would call it the applied mathematics of leadership. So in, in so what he's done is he's taken his life lessons and built principles of it which you could live by. And I'm, I actually took some of his principles and 
uh, in my soon to be starting quarter three, I'm going <laughs> to try to, <laughs> I'm going to try to operate by, at least that's the aspiration. Those are some of the books that have a real impact on me. Of course, I lead, read a lot of historical books and, and podcasts. Podcast is an amazing medium. Pivot Record uh, by Scott Galloway and uh, Kara Swisher. It's a brilliant podcast for anybody who's interested in technologies and uh, companies and uh, masters in business, another podcast, and uh, Cracking the Code. I mean, those are some of the podcasts. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's uh, part of leadership is also about giving back. How do you apply that uh, both in your personal and professional life? Giving back has so many different spectrums and, uh, and shares to it. Yeah, so, so my way of giving back is that whenever I'm, I'm on any activity work-wise, wherever I see any employee with me, I try to take the extra time to explaining them how to go about thinking about the problem statement and go about uh, working on it. I like to have more of a conversation and a dialogue than uh, a directive and try to get uh, the best ideas forward. It's a much more informal way of giving back because I feel that more direct way of giving back uh, can sometimes appear condescending. So I try to have it in a communication where it feels like they get something out of the communication and it's a collaborative discussion. So that's one way. The second is um, I once in a while go to my school, uh, NYU Stern, and um, try to talk to some of the young um, students who are attending colleges. So those are some of the ways. And, you know, these days, um, you know, my daughters are growing up and I spend time with them and try to give them back uh, by helping uh, them in their day to day and their friends. Their attention span is uh, is not as much as I want <laughs> <laughs> we all have good days and bad days in, in everything we do, including leadership. You know, how do you know you've done right at the end of the day when you look at yourself in the mirror and decide to call it a day? I mean, what is your definition of success, learnings, all of that? I think it's a little bit early for me to, let's say, put a, put a pin on that exact question, uh, Sui, because I feel I have a lot of, I have to evolve a lot more before I can definitely answer that question. But to be honest, uh, you know, I, I at least for me right now, it's more about embracing reality. How do you know what you want and what's the reality and how to deal with it? So embracing reality in workplace, you know, at home, and how do you deal with it? I think that's an area that at least I personally am trying to make sure that I, I get a better grip on that. Uh, the second one is... Um, not to tolerate problems. You know, there's a lot of problems in everybody's life. Some that you can control, some you cannot control. Right. Uh, so at least the ones you can control, don't let them linger and don't tolerate them. Prioritize them and, and deal with them in an effective manner. The third is, you know, stealing from Ray, operate by principles. I'm trying to put my own list of principles, which I want to operate by, because I think uh, they do help. I've seen them very effective. I think some of those principles, um, you know, like, for example, you know, communication with integrity, you know, it's easier said, but when you start practicing it to be authentic in the conversation, mm -hmm. whether the message is uh, positive or negative, mm -hmm. I think it's extremely important. So those, those are some of the principles I'm applying and I'm hoping will be reflective of how 
I go about um, in the workplace that would help uh, the organization and the team? Well, you know, I, uh, I I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, there's some of these very hard, but also very simple truths that are hard to practice that all of us need as leaders to do. These principles, Travers, uh, as you know, your workplace and at home too, right? Absolutely. You know, for example, none of us can be successful without a strong life partner, right? So, you know, you, if you if you apply those principles, uh, you know, let's say I try to do it with my wife, not always successfully, but she's been a huge support to me, right? Because, uh, you know, I have a job where one day I have to be in one place, second day I have to be in another place, global organization, and you can't do it without a supportive uh, significant other. And in my case, it's really my wife and, um, you know, God bless her and um, she's like a rock. And I try the principles on her. She gives me good feedback and, uh, you know, try to, try to perfect them. No, that's very, very true, my friend. And uh, we could continue on and I'm sure we'll have many more opportunities as we unfold this values-based leadership from all global leaders of all cater. And hearing your life lessons, I know, are, are going to be incredible nuggets of wisdom for all those who listen. As we wind down this show, I would like to ask you, Raman, one final question. What would you want people to remember you by? So that that seems like a final countdown kind of question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a good reflective question we all should be thinking about. I agree. It's fragile. You know, we all know that very well. So let, let me say it's a halftime kind of reflection for me, hopefully. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I would like people to think that, uh, you know, that I've tried to help whenever I can, whether they were, they worked with me in the past or present as much as I could. I like people to think that, you know, I've done right by them. But more importantly, I think it's really about, you know, coming back to the theme of were they left better off with me in their life or not? I like more people to think that they were left better off with me in their life than not being in their life. So that's what I can aspire to. And hopefully I'll have more updates for you 10, 15 years down the line. <laughs> well, absolutely, you know, and uh, it's been my privilege to actually get to know you. You're a very warm person. You've got a very natural leadership style and uh, everything you said is very reflective of who Raman is. I'm much appreciative of that. Thank you very much, Sudhir. And uh, it's great talking to you. Thank you for joining us on the show and I look forward to many more. Sudhir, Ramon Abrawl cracked the code using lessons learned early from his parents. Now, where have we heard that before? More and more of these successful leaders are telling us how the earliest learnings were the most important. And my favorite story from this episode is how just three weeks into Abrawl's engineering career, his first job, he was offered the chance to lead a project. It wasn't that he had special skills or knowledge that made him the company's best choice. It was that no senior engineers wanted to go there. It was a war zone. But Abrawl said yes, although he didn't tell his mother about it. He just told her he was going away for a month. He kept the war zone part out of it because she would have objected. Not only did he survive, he thrived. And he won an award for his work, and it was a boost to his young career. He came away with a lesson. Don't say no immediately to a challenge, because when opportunity knocks answer yes, it may not come back around. And Abrol 
also stressed the value of a leader taking time to stop and talk to those down the ladder. Ask them how they're doing. Listen to them. Have a dialogue with them. It will make them feel better about their jobs. And having a dialogue with your employees, teaching them how to approach a challenge is his way, one of his ways of giving back. And he repeated another lesson we've heard before, the value of honest communication. People need to know they can rely on your word. Another consistent theme of cracking the code. 